entitled, entitled Curveball because uh, honestly that's what we're all dealing with a little bit uh, right now. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what God is going to do uh, with this series. I, I don't know, uh, I don't have anything charted out. I, I don't know what I'm going to do three weeks from now. I don't usually at this point I've got uh, in a new series, I have uh, weeks planned out of what text I'm going to be preaching, what we're going to be covering, where we're going to be going. Uh, I've got none of that this time because... Why would I? Nobody has anything planned right now. Nobody knows really what is, is going on. And uh, it's just kind of the nature of where we find ourselves. It's where you find yourself trying to figure out uh, what life is going to look like for you over the next few weeks and who knows how long. And uh, the, re- the reality is we're all kind of living in this world of I don't know. Uh, and that's, uh, that's us in- included here. And so uh, this morning... We're going we're gonna to go here to the book of Judges, and, and the idea of the, the, the series Curveball is that we're going to talk about what happens when things don't go uh, exactly as planned, kind of like with us this morning and, and getting started just a little bit late. Whenever life doesn't go exactly how you had it planned, the question is, what do you do at that point? You've got to react. You've got to adjust. You've got to change some things. In that moment, you, you will find yourselves reacting and adjusting. And the question is, what will those reactions and adjustments be? Will they be reactions and adjustments that glorify God? Or will they be reactions that uh, really just highlight uh, your, uh, your inability to, to trust God in these situations? And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through different situations all throughout Scripture, different people, uh, sometimes like this morning where we're going to be talking about the entire nation of Israel, where things don't go quite how they had uh, planned. Most of you guys know I'm a big baseball fan. I'm, I'm a huge Major League Baseball fan. My team, the Braves, were set to have a really, uh, at the very least, entertaining season, if not good season, uh, this year, and now there may be no season at all, which hurts me to even think about, let alone for it to be uh, true. But um, this season would have been interesting for them, and this weekend was supposed to be opening weekend for Major League Baseball. It was supposed to be when everything got started. And here's the thing, as much as I love the Braves, they would not have been the most interesting team to watch this season. The most interesting team to watch this season would have been the Houston Astros. They would have been the most interesting team to watch, I think, in the history of Major League Baseball. And why is that? Because they were in the midst of one of the, probably the biggest scandal in Major League Baseball history. What's happened is, over the last couple of months during the offseason, they were exposed for a scandal that rocked Major League Baseball. What, what happened is, over the course of a couple of years, the Astros were cheating. They were using video cameras to steal signals and let people who were up to bat know what was coming, whether it was going to be a fastball or whether it was going to be a curveball. They would have been endlessly booed because uh, baseball fans realize how big a deal this is. There's no question about it. They cheated. They've owned up to it, at least somewhat, and said that they cheated, uh, but they won the World Series to do it. And so this season, one of the things that a lot of Major League Baseball fans were looking forward to was just the ability to boo the Houston Astros, just to tell them what they thought of them and probably do a lot worse than boo. That's what they were planning to do, but now that's not going to happen, at least not anytime uh, soon. And so all that they did, though, the only way that they cheated was to know pretty much what pitch was coming. 
And that single thing changed everything for the Astros. It allowed them to put up uh, numbers as hitters that, that no other team has ever put up in the history uh, of the game. Now, they still had to hit the pitch. They still had to do the, the work of it. But knowing that the curveball was coming was enough. And now, just because of that, they are probably the most universally hated team in baseball history. Now, that's true for Major League Baseball, but think about that for yourself. How great would it be to have that system that the Astros had for a pitch if you had it for your life? If you could see that curveball that was coming, if you could get just a little bit ahead of the game, just a little bit to know what was coming. Now, you still had to do the work, but you knew what was coming. How much would that change your life? That little bit of preparation could change everything for you guys. For some of you, if you had had that just little bit of warning a couple of weeks ago, you would have enough toilet paper right now. But uh, as it is, you're fighting somebody for it at Walmart this weekend. So uh, I, I don't know what little bit of preparation would do to help you, but just a little bit sometimes makes all the difference. So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to look at this idea of, of, of seeing the curveball and what happens whenever we react. The reality is in life, we don't get that advantage. There is no system that we can set up to know what's coming. There's nothing that we can have in front of us that will tell us this is what's about to happen. Our reality is that we have to see, adjust, and make an adjustment that then glorifies God. But how do you do that whenever all around you feels like chaos? When you're completely off stride, off balance, and you can't seem to, to, to get everything behind you, you can't seem to do everything that you're supposed to do and the way you're supposed to do it, how does that work and how do you do that? So I'm going to start here in the book of Judges. I could have started almost anywhere in Scripture because we see this story play out a lot, but I'm going to start in the book of Judges, and this is where we're going to we're going to go with it uh, from from there. And and honestly, as I've read through the book of Judges this week and kind of reread some things, I'm reminded of how this could warrant a uh, a full series walking through this book. But we're just going to take the whole book in one big chunk uh, right now, and we're going to look at something. We're going to look at a curveball that the nation of Israel got that even though they didn't respond well, they probably should have seen it coming. So I'm going to read from uh, Judges chapter 2, and I'm going to read starting in verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his uh, inheritance to take possessions of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Eris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. We'll stop there for now. So, quick reset of where we are in the book of Judges. Uh, if you've been with Providence, you know that we were studying the book of Exodus for almost all of 2019. Pick up from the book of Exodus. Moses is, uh, is in charge, but Moses is not going to be able to go into the, the promised land. Instead, 
Uh, this guy Joshua is going to take over for Moses after he dies, and he will be the one to lead them into the promised land. That is the book of Joshua, right before Judges, where Joshua just pretty much leads Israel all throughout the promised land, kicking tail and, and taking over the land that, uh, that was promised to them. That's pretty much the book of Joshua, with a few kind of starts and stops in there. That's pretty much what happens. And then you pick up in the book of Judges, they are now in the promised land, but not fully. They don't have all of the land that they're supposed to have. They've got most of the land that they're supposed to have. They're in a pretty good spot. And now Joshua, their leader throughout all of this, has died. He's 110. They probably should have seen this coming. Uh, but, but apparently they didn't because they have not planned well for what would happen in his absence. He was old. There's, there's no curveball for what should have been there, but, but it totally caught them... Uh, caught them off guard. And so somebody else has got to step up and now be God's spokesperson for Israel. They've got to be the leader of Israel. And, and the only problem now is that whenever this person steps in for Joshua, things have changed. Things are not quite what they were. Look in verse 10 of Judges. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And that, to me, is the first curveball in here. At least it's a curveball as a reader as I'm studying through this, because it doesn't make any sense to me. This is not one that I see coming. After all, we've seen Egypt and, and uh, the, the Exodus and how Moses uh, led his people out of slavery. We've seen the battles all throughout the book of Joshua and how God led them through that. And you would think those stories would live forever. After all, here we are in 2020 and we're still telling those stories. You would think that there would be no problem passing those down from generation to generation. But the problem is you can never assume the faith of one generation from the previous generation. In chapters 1 and 2, what we see is that uh, time after time, God had commanded the people of Israel to take certain parts of the land. You can read this just, just uh, the one page back in, in 1 and 2 of Judges. God had commanded the people to take certain parts of Israel, and the, or certain parts of the, the promised land, and, and the, the people of Israel basically said, nah, we're good. Nah, we're, we're not going to do that right now. Instead, we're just going to kind of sit back a little bit. We're going to sit back and we're going to, uh, you know, just kind of let things happen as, as they happen. You see, God's people had become content with what God had given them to that point. Now, God had called them to take more. God had called them to, to go and to, to take over more, but for, for the people of Israel, in their mind, they did the calculus and it wasn't worth it because these few remaining places that were there were strong places. They were people that had, um, that had chariots, that had, that had these things that were kind of like deal breakers if you were going to go up against them. And so what happened is the people of Israel looked at them and said, you know what, we're good. I don't need to fight these guys. We're probably going to lose to these guys. I'm happy with this little plot of land that I got over here on the mountainside. Totally good with that. I can set up my garden. We're good. I really don't need anything else. And so they just decided to stay put. And when that happens, when that happens, 
what you see, what you end up having is a people who become content with something less than what God had intended for them. What happens here is that, that it kind of works in the short term. Israel becomes relatively prosperous. They're feared by most other nations. They're satisfied with their level of religion. And they're generally just kind of content with life. For many of us, what Israel has is really our goal in life too. We want to become relatively prosperous. We want to be respected by others. We want to be socially acceptable to most people. We we want to have a, a socially acceptable level of religion a tangible kind of faith, but one that, that is acceptable to everyone around us. And then we want to find just some level of contentment. So if we can do what Israel does, somewhat prosperous, socially acceptable faith, respected by others, generally happy with life, that is enough for us. That is, for most of us, our goal in life. And what we, what we see is that when we pursue that goal, that goal is less than the one that God has for us. And so when we pursue that one, instead of the one that God calls us to pursue, then what we find out very quickly is that even those, those things that we thought were so important, those goals that we had pursued so much, those things are fleeting. And they will slip right through our hands before we even know that they're gone. For a lot of us, we're looking at, at, at some of that happening right now. Our half-measured obedience, our bank accounts we worry over, our jobs we invest so much of our identity in can be gone in a flash. And then what happens whenever we, we look at our life and we realize, wait a minute, those were the things that I had put my hope in. And what happens is the next generation for some of you, it's your kids. For others, it's just, it's just those that are looking on realize, wait a minute, their hope was never in God in the first place. They only kind of had a half-hearted obedience. Their hope was in these other things. And when they see that we fall apart because our hope has been taken away from us, what they realize is that that was no real hope at all. And then they aren't compelled to pursue that faith either. That's what happened to Israel. They were content with what they had instead of burdened to pursue what God had called them to pursue. That is what happened to Israel. I have no idea how this has affected you. I said earlier that, that it's kind of weird talking to, to folks around here versus what you see on the news because most of the people I talk to around here, this hasn't personally affected us in a way that, that really causes us to kind of seize up and be, be super worried we're all vigilant. We all want to mind what we've been told that we're supposed to do, but it hasn't really affected us personally, except for perhaps some of you that may have lost your job or maybe dealing with, uh, with, with a, a, a lessened income over the last couple of weeks, and who knows how this will impact us as we, go, uh, as we go forward. And so I don't know how this has affected you, but I do know I do know that during this time, God is using something massive to get our attention. I do know that we would make a mistake if what we did is we just kind of went on with our life as though everything is just kind of ho-hum, we're just waiting on this thing to be over. 
this should grab us and get our attention. To stop and to consider what things we hold dear. What do we need for our contentment? What do we need to be happy? What do we, what do we need in order to feel like we've achieved our goals? And what God wants to push all of us to is to use this time to realize that we have been called to subdue our hearts in every part, to fight against sin, to fight against our flesh. And let me tell you, when you're locked up with the same people for days on end, your flesh will rise up and will say, no, 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 this is what I need to have happen. And that will only happen more in the days that go forward. Things that that didn't bother you a week ago will make you want to throw something at somebody very, very soon if you haven't already put a hole in the wall. That's just part of what's going to happen with this. And that's just like the beginning. That's the, the simple things and the easy things. And so I don't know how it's affected you at this point. But I know that we would, we would be remiss if we did not take this time to consider our own hearts and what God is calling us to give up and to forsake in this time. It's probably going to go a lot longer. There's probably going to be a lot more that we're going to have to deal with. And my challenge to you, my encouragement to you, is to make sure that you make use of this time. After all, for a lot of people, you have more time now. Others don't. You're working from home. Time hasn't really changed all that much for you. But whenever sports stop, when extracurricular activities stop, whenever you're not watching sports or going to sports, you suddenly have time to look at yourself and to be honest with yourself. And it can be easy to fill that time up with Facebook, with Twitter. I know that I've been there too, just trying to figure out what's the latest thing that I can, that I can know. Let me encourage you not to get caught up with how you can fill that time and not to finish Netflix this week. But instead, instead take some time to figure out what it is that God is calling you to in these days. For Israel, their hearts have become content, and they no longer needed God. I mean, after all, God had already given them what they needed. They already had the land. As far as they were concerned, they had all that they needed, so there was no need to call God into this story anymore. They were done with Him. Look in chapter 2, verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. So what did the people of Israel do? They chased after everything the people around them were chasing after. Their heart's contentment became bound up in the same thing that made everyone else content. They didn't need God anymore. They had the land. They didn't need somebody to fight the battles for them because they were done fighting battles. What they wanted was to be accepted. They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to live in the same houses. They wanted to drive the same cars. They wanted, uh, most importantly, to put their hope in the same things that the people around them were putting their hope in. The same false gods. So where do you find your hope today? I talked about this last week. Good theology will always lead to a sincere and an honest hope. Bad theology and our sinful flesh will always lead us to false hopes. Where do you find your hope today? 
Is it in the same places as everyone else? Are you struck down with anxiety and fear and worry by the same things that the rest of the world is worried about? Where do you find your hope? Now, I want to say something else, too. And this may not apply to you, but I, I just want to throw it out there anyway. Do you find your hope in some politician? Because over the course of the next couple of months, what you're going to be tempted to do, because this is what everything is going to tell you between your Facebook feed to your newscast that you watch to wherever you get your news from, what they will tell you is that you need to have hope in some politician. Depending on where you get your news from, that will tell you what politician will give you hope. Do you get, if you get your news from one source, they'll tell you that, that, that Donald Trump is your hope. If you get your source, if you get your news from another source, they're going to tell you that, that Biden or basically anyone but Donald Trump is where you should find your hope. And I want to, to just tell you over the course of even the next few days, don't get caught up in that. Po- politics has become our nation's religion. It's really become the secular world's religion. And far too many Christians have followed right after that religion and their false gods are no different than than the one who claims no God. Don't put your hope in any politician. In November, we're going to have a a choice that we're going to make for a politician. For who's going to be our president. But whoever gets elected, you know what? I'm not going to panic. And you know I'm not going to panic because, not because I don't think elections matter. I do think they matter. But I'm not going to panic because I believe that my hope is far bigger than whoever sits in the White House. My hope is far bigger than anything and any decision that they're going to make. And I also know that whoever that politician is, is going to fail me. They will fail because this is the story of people all throughout the Bible, and specifically when you get into the book of Judges. The book of Judges is about a bunch of leaders who fail the people of Israel over and over and over and over. It's just a cycle that keeps repeating itself. I don't know if you know this, but where it says Judges, that's not talking about like judging someone. It's not talking about uh, even somebody that would sit like we would know a, a judge in a courtroom. The, the term for judge there is, is basically like a military leader. Exactly kind of what Joshua was. A leader that would step into the role of, uh, for, for Israel who would kind of be a spokesperson for God and would go before the people of Israel. And the story of the judges is that they start okay. They've got some judges at the beginning. You would know some of these names. Deborah, Samson, Gideon, these are, these are people that we know a lot of stories about, pretty, pretty cool stories in, in, uh, in the Old Testament. Deborah does well. She leads the, the country well, but even under her leadership, they still, they still turn away from God. But then as it progresses under Samson and under Gideon, under all of their leadership, everything begins to, to fall apart under all these other judges. Why? Because they are all sinful people. Because they are sinful people and they will let the nation down. And so it is with our politicians as well. Israel so desperately wanted to be like all the other nations. 
They appointed judges because what they really wanted was a king. And why did they want a king? Because all the other nations had a king. And if all the other nations had a king, then they too should have a king so that they could be like everybody else. Because if everybody else is doing it, surely that makes sense that they should be doing it. And what God continued to push to Israel was, you don't need a king because I am your king. I am the one who rules over you. I am the one who has authority over you. And so I will appoint these people, but they will fail us. And fail they do. Flawed, messed up individuals. And they, like Israel, fail over and over and over. And then you get to the very end of the book. You can turn to Judges chapter 21. The very end of the book, the very last verse of the book. 21-25. And what it says is, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That is a hard, hard statement to read. It's a horrible condemnation of Israel. First, they highlight that they weren't like the other nations because they didn't have a king. But not only does that didn't mean that they didn't have a king that they could look at and that they could see and that was right there with them, but it also meant that God was not their king either. They had no king. They had no one that they answered to. And then it says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. As I thought about that this week, that phrase is is pretty interesting one to me. Because I always took that to mean everyone did a bunch of evil. And maybe that's true, but that's not what it says. It says that elsewhere in the book of Judges about how the people responded. But that's not really what it says right there. What it says is everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So their main problem in Israel was not so much that they pursued sin. They did. Don't don't misunderstand me. But their main issue was they didn't even recognize that it was sin because their problem was an authority problem. They didn't know who was in charge. You see, in their own mind, in their eyes, what they did, they thought was right. They weren't doing things and saying, oh no, I shouldn't be doing this. They were doing whatever they wanted to do because they determined what was right and what was wrong. The issue was that they had forgotten who their king was and what their authority was. They had forgotten who was in charge. Christian, on a personal level, and we'll talk about all kinds of different ways the moment that we're in as a country, how that affects us. But this morning, on a personal level, I want to, again, challenge you to let these days and these weeks kind of settle over you and remind you of who is in charge. For so many of us, what we have been reminded in the matter of days is that we do not control anything. We have had that illusion of control ripped from our grasp, and we have been told, stay home because you have no control over this. Let that illusion of control taken away from you, let that be a blessing to you. Let that be a blessing to you and a grace from God to remind you of who the king truly is. And that it wouldn't be true of us that we say there's no king in our lives, we do what is right in our own eyes, but instead that there is a king in our lives. There is a king in our lives. And we will do what is right by him. 
Let God refine you. Let God take away our desires to be like the rest of the world around us. May it be that as we spend time in our homes, we are less uh, caught up and enamored with the world and more caught up and in love with Jesus. May it be a time where we are renewed in our sense of knowing who we follow and who is our authority. Listen, there's no handbook for what we're dealing with right now. I didn't take a class in seminary that said, this is how you lead a church in a nationwide pandemic. There's no handbook for what you're doing at home right now. There was no handbook before. None of us know what we're doing when it comes to parenting. None of us know what we're doing whenever it comes to trying to figure out our way in life. We're all just kind of feeling our way along. I used to think when I got older, I would know the direction that I was going, and I would feel like I would have uh, control over it. I'm still trying to figure out what life's going to look like when I grow up. And then I realize I'm almost 40. So I'm grown up at this point, and I still don't know what's going on. There's no handbook for life. There's certainly no handbook for you in this pandemic. There's no handbook for how to be a good husband. There's no handbook for how to be a good wife, a good employee, a good mom, a good dad, a good son, a good daughter. There's no handbook for any of that. And it would be easy for us to use that as an excuse to say, well, I just don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of feeling it along. So I can just blame all my mistakes on the fact that I was just guessing in the first place. Well, there's no handbook for it, but let me just tell you that there is a book that gives us guidance, that gives us wisdom, and that points us to hope. And that when we have wisdom and when we have hope, then we have a good start on the direction that we should go. And then ultimately, when we have authority over us, in Jesus, in His Word, there may not be a handbook that says, this is how you do it. But there is, a, there is something that says this is the way. Walk in it. And this is what we've been given in Christ. My prayer, my burden is that in these days, the weightiness of what we are going through and what we are doing would bring us closer to God. That we would long more for Him and less for this world. Would that be your prayer this morning as well? Will you pray with me? Father, This morning, I confess that far too often my goal is so much less than your goal for me. That my goal in life is just to to make it through the day and feel like I had a good day. That, That my goal is so much less than what you have called us to. Father, I repent of that. I pray that the people that are that are listening now would repent of that. And that our goal would be nothing less than full, unquestioned obedience to you, our King. That no matter how big the giants look, no matter how strong the enemies look, no matter how tempting it is to try to make ourselves fit in with everyone else, that we would submit to you, that we would know you, that we would follow you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.